Hello, and welcome to the Monday edition of the Ames Tribune for this May 4th, 2020. Your reader today is Dave Sauerman, and you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading and Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. Our first story, former Ames resident and Holocaust survivor Ruth David succumbs to COVID-19. This story is written by Robbie Sequera, a staff writer for the Ames Tribune. Ruth David was 14 when the Kinder Transport, which helped 10,000 children to escape from Adolf Hitler's reign of terror in parts of Europe, controlled by the Nazis, saved her. She would soon translate the tragedies of being a Holocaust survivor into two books, A Life of Teaching and Speaking Internationally on Life During and After the Holocaust. On April 6, at the age of 91, David passed away due to complications from the COVID-19 in Lancashire, where she moved to in the year 2000. But during her life, she once called Ames home for 17 years. I know living in Ames meant an awful lot to Mom, David's son Simon Finch said to the Tribune. She also had a real gift for developing friendships, Finch said. He said his mother, who moved to Ames in 1992, created strong friendships during her first year in Ames and even adopted the Iowa nice attitude. I think she would joke with her new friends and would say that she found herself being the one introducing people to her husband, a longtime resident of Ames, rather than vice versa. Barbara Pleasance, adjunct professor, assistant professor at Iowa State University, said David was one of the most influential people to live in Ames. Since her arrival in Ames, David was a frequent Holocaust educator through lectures and speaking engagements at the university. She, along with Pleasance, was also a member of the Ames Jewish congregation. There were times where she would tell stories of horrors of the Holocaust to our students, and she would engage with the community about stories of other survivors and those who didn't survive but she embraced this community as she did in every other way. David was born in 1929 and grew up in Germany. Her parents sought refuge for her in England before being murdered by Hitler's Nazi regime. Her most well-known book, Child of Our Time, A Young Girl's Flight from Holocaust, chronicled the, the reality and experiences as a Holocaust survivor to groups unaware of its tragedies. Upon her return to the United Kingdom in the year 2000, she would annually visit Germany to teach German school children about the Holocaust. Since Hitler's Nazi regime ended, the countries had a complicated relationship teaching and discussing the Holocaust, according to the United States Holocaust Museum. For two decades on annual visits to Germany, many of them found it barely unimaginable that as a former pupil herself, she had once been taught under a portrait of Hitler in a class that stood up and gave the Nazi salute to teachers, said Finch. Finch said that after his mother passed, people from all over the world reached out, he and his sister, Margaret Finch. But he was taken aback by the outpouring of memories and love from Ames, a city located miles away from Leicester, England. In Ames, judging from the multiple letters of condolence my sister and I have received, she made several close friends and left a striking impression on dozens, if not hundreds of individuals, Simon said. A lifelong friendship formed between Linda Emerson and David on the tennis courts in Ames. 
I remember talking to her that first time on the tennis courts and just enjoying our talk, said Ames native Emerson, who stayed in touch with David until her death. I remember visiting her two years ago in the UK. She gave me a grand tour of life there, and it was the greatest day to have with her. Emerson and her husband, Tom, visited David two years ago in the UK and would maintain their friendships through an unbreakable chain of letters, emails, and phone calls. She always asked about how we were, how Ames was, and we talk about the memories shared here. She would always invite us to the United Kingdom and always talked about future visits to Ames. Simon said that 2019 was another banner year for David, who was 90 at the time. David had been active in engagements, speaking to the UK's National Holocaust Center just weeks before her death, and making two trips to Germany and one to Madeira, Portugal in Christmas. She had so much more planned with continued speaking engagements and lectures. She even continued visits to Simon and Margaret to spend time with grandchildren, such as spending her 90th birthday with her family in March 2019. We had a really good year doing all sorts of things, including two trips to Germany and one to Madeira, said Simon. The COVID-19 pandemic hit the United Kingdom with its first case on February 28. The United Kingdom went to lockdown on March 23rd, a three-week period of lockdown measures to ensure social distancing and limit the spread of the novel coronavirus. Simon said his mother, Ruth, had been social distancing since March 16, taking every precaution she could. She was being ultra careful since March 16, and only two people were coming into her home, said Simon. But on March 27, Ruth, who had declared that she felt healthier than in months, had been experiencing COVID-19-related symptoms, which included a high-grade fever and bouts of confusion. Over the ensuing days, Ruth had been experiencing a strong cough and began losing weight. On April 2, two weeks after the UK had been shut down, Ruth was admitted to expert care at a hospital in Lancashire. Ruth's health had deteriorated rapidly, having difficulty breathing and maintaining a level of lucidity. I remember her being lucid enough when leaving home to explain to the very nice ambulance man, my parents were killed in the Holocaust, he said. He was terribly sympathetic. Ruth was able to get tested at the hospital ward, and Finch said the hospital workers gave them the highest quality of service. They told us within a couple of hours admission that she had COVID-19, pneumonia in both lungs, and in the afternoon that she was not responding to intravenous antibiotics, he said. Simon said Ruth was able to get tested and start palliative care as her health was worsening. She succumbed to the virus on April 6. It's been an unsure time and everything has changed, he said. They are beginning to ease some restrictions. Ruth's daughter, Margaret, described her death as rapid and shocking. But I suspect it was so fast that she didn't have time to be frightened. Simon said the outpouring of love from Ruth's Ames family, which also is experiencing its own relationship with the COVID-19 pandemic, has been amazing. Former Ames Mayor Carolyn, excuse me, former Ames Mayor Ann Campbell said Ruth David was a one-of-a-kind person who impacted Ames from the moment she set foot in town. Ruth was an amazing person. The memories and the stories she left here will always have an effect, said Campbell to the Tribune. This place has always missed her presence when she left, but Ames will always be home for her. Our next story on the front page, 
Panera Bread of Iowa introduces a Sunday sharing program. This story is written by Emily Urban, a contributing writer to the Tribune. Panera Bread of Iowa implemented a Sunday sharing program to feed frontline workers and urgent care staff during the COVID-19 outbreak. The program, which started on April 15, will provide individual boxed lunches to workers ranging from emergency staff to police officers. So many people are stepping up and making a difference during this crisis, especially those who work in the healthcare industries. Mike Young, operating partner for Panera Bread of Iowa, wrote in a press release, they are truly on the front lines and many are working seven days a week. We thought providing Panera lunch and bakery treats for those working on a Sunday was a great way to say thank you. The program has provided meals to McFarland Clinic, Unity Point Urgent Care Clinic, Mary Greeley Medical Center nurses, Johnston Police and Fire Departments, as well as other locations around Iowa. We are rotating, so those are the ones that we've donated to in the past, said Emily Dreer, Marketing Administrator for Panera Bread for Iowa. And in order to try and say thank you to as many people as possible, we rotate, and some of them may see another donation. However, we are trying to reach out to as many organizations as possible. At the moment, it really mostly depends on how many different target organizations are in the area. Mary Greeley Medical Center has already received the Sunday sharing meals multiple times in the last few weeks, according to Steve Sullivan, a spokesperson for Mary Greeley. More recently, hospital staff have received donated meals from restaurants and businesses, including Texas Roadhouse, Hy-Vee Flowers, Jeff's Pizza, and Iowa State University Athletics. We're keeping a tally, Sullivan said. We're keeping a list of everybody who has contributed, and we will be issuing a thank you one way or another when this is all done. Sullivan said donations and gestures have meant a lot, as the staff at the hospital are very busy at this time. Because of the situation, we're still here, and we're just having that kind of support and those gestures of awareness it really means a lot to the whole organization, Sullivan said. And the final story on the front page, COVID-19 causes increased alcohol and drug use, and officials worry about addiction. This story is written by David Mullen and Kylie Mullen, who are staff writers for the Tribune. The COVID-19 pandemic has caused ramifications for nearly every sector, from business to nonprofit to government and to healthcare. However, perhaps, the biggest impact has been on the community members who find themselves isolated at home, financially insecure, and feeling hopeless in the situation at hand. As the outbreak continues, officials worry those feelings will lead to increases in alcohol and drug use throughout the state and local community, especially for those who already struggle with addiction. Andrew Allen, who's Chief Executive and President at YSS, an Ames-based nonprofit providing mental and behavioral health services for youth and families throughout the state, said addiction does not take a break for pandemics. I'm convinced that coming out of this, there are going to be more people pursuing addiction treatment because they've gotten so deep into their addiction. Despite the amount of people staying at home on a day-to-day -day basis, being at an all-time high due to the pandemic, People across the country also are buying alcohol products, 25% more compared to last year, according to data measurement company Nielsen, 
which compile data of alcohol sales and consumption based off of national findings. A recently released survey from the American Psychological Association also shows an 8% increase in drug use and alcohol consumption. In addition to a lack of sleep, 19%, and increased fighting with loved ones, 24%, that heightened scale has not been seen in AIMS to the extent of national findings, though it is likely due to the in decrease in sales caused by Iowa State University students returning home for the remainder of the semester, according to the owners of two local liquor stores. Weber Bowen, owner of JW Liquor Names, said the business actually saw a significant decrease in sales following the university's closure. It has since started to pick up and hold its own, but it is still not to the level where it normally would be during graduation. Cyclone Liquor owner Roger Eser said he thinks more customers are likely purchasing their alcohol from box stores like Walmart and Hy-Vee rather than local liquor stores to prevent making extra shopping trips. If people don't want to make that extra step, they don't come in and buy from us, but rather they'll go to the grocery store, said Eser, whose businesses also have a bar in the back, which previously hosted wine tasting and liquor classes, but they closed on March 17 due to the pandemic. We've remained steady, however, we have two licenses, and so our bar being closed is definitely affecting us. Bowen anticipated a loss of revenue anywhere between 10 and 25%, and Esser both attribute the loss of revenue to the college students returning home. Customers have, however, begun exploring different brands of liquor, he said. We've had one customer come in the other day who bought a $180 bottle of scotch when he normally would only buy a case of beer because he said he was bored of the same old stuff, said Bowen. And while local sales do not measure up to national increases, Owen said he is convinced alcohol and drug usage is increasing locally and that many who already struggle with addiction will be at risk. It's a coping mechanism, he said. We saw it in 2008 when the economy was impacted. People turned to drugs and alcohol to help cope. And, though, and through the pandemic, we are convinced that, again, people are turning to drugs and alcohol to cope. He said YSS's inpatient residential addiction treatment program for kids is just as full as generally as ever. Though protocol has been put into place to meet the Center for Disease Control's recommendations for sanitation and social distancing. William Glenke, a social worker in the emergency department at Mary Greeley Medical Center, said, he is also worried addiction and the chances for recovering addicts to relapse is concerning, especially now that resources for recovery have been limited. Relapse is a big concern right now, he said. Some people being home due to quarantine or sheltered at home may not have much social interaction, so it may be difficult for them to cope which could lead to relapsed drinking. Addiction counseling and programs like Alcoholics Anonymous have shifted to virtual meetings due to the current pandemic. And although it is working for some, it is not working for all, said Kevin Gabbert, director of an opioid initiative at the Iowa Department of Public Health. We've heard that some people think the services being provided virtually 
can be a little awkward, but we're hearing that some patients who historically have been kind of reluctant to engage in conversation during therapy are being more comfortable now, Gabbard said. Gabbard said the state might not notice a drastic increase in people seeking help for months. One of the major concerns we're worried about is that in many cases, we will be addressing, in terms of addiction, might not manifest until 6 to 12 months down the road. So, although the pandemic may end within the next couple of months, we anticipate we will be addressing these issues related to COVID-19 for potentially a year or more, Gabbard said. And here's a sports story that might be of some interest. A judge dismisses unequal pay claim by U.S. women's soccer players. This story is written by Kevin Baxter, who writes for the Los Angeles Times. In a major victory for U.S. soccer, a federal judge on Friday dismissed the unequal pay claim brought by the World Cup champion women's national team, ruling that evidence offered by the players' lawyers was insufficient to create a genuine issue of material fact for a trial. The team's allegation of discriminatory travel accommodations and medical support services will go to trial. The players filed suit against the Federation 13 months ago, claiming they were paid less than players on the U.S. men's team for performing the same work. U.S. soccer countered, citing the collective bargaining agreement the women signed with the Federation, one which includes an annual salary and other guaranteed benefits, such as health care and family leave, that members of the men's team do not receive. The women were seeking more than $66 million in damages. The case was to go to trial next month. Merely comparing what WNT players received under their own CBA with what they would have received under the MNT CBA discounts discounts the value that the team placed on the guaranteed benefits they receive under their agreement, which they opted for, the judge ruled. The player's claim of unequal travel and medical staff can go to trial, the judge said. We are shocked and disappointed with today's decision, but we will not give up our hard work for equal pay, Molly Levinson, a spokeswoman for the women's team, said in a statement. She said Friday's decision will be appealed. We are confident in our case and are steadfast in our commitment to ensuring that girls and women who play this sport will not be valued as lesser just because of their gender. The players apparently are still committed and committed via Twitter. This team never gives up and we're not going to start now. U.S. Women's National Soccer Team player Toby Heath said, we will continue on in the fight for equal pay, teammate Kristen Press said. Here's Dennis the Menace for today. Dennis is in the kitchen with his mother. His mother is stirring a pot on the stove and Dennis says, Let's make a deal. You don't make broccoli, and I won't waste it. And here's the comic real life for today. Husband and wife are sitting on the couch. Uh, Husband's working a a crossword puzzle, and the wife is reading. And the husband says, Hmm, what is an eight-letter word for spouse? And the wife says, C-E-L-L-M-A-T-E. And the husband says, Right you are. Our next story... Story County Shops and Eateries Reopened to a Brisk Business. This story is written by Kim Norbell, who writes for the USA Today Network. Inside Cafe Diem in Ames, it almost seemed like business as usual. Well, 
the old usual. And for that to happen at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic in Iowa was no small feat for manager Morgan Dennis. Business was steady throughout the morning there. Some customers who came in to pick up orders to go stayed for a cup of coffee. One customer stuck around for more than two hours, she said. They can still be isolated because there's room around them to have space for themselves and not feel worried, Dennis said. It's awesome to see customers feel comfortable and all of the work that I've done is already paying off for them to feel safe here. Starting on Friday, Governor Kim Reynolds eased restrictions on closures of restaurants, retail shops, libraries, gyms, and malls in 77 counties where coronavirus activity has been minimal or declining. Those businesses can operate at only 50% capacity and must adhere to social distancing and sanitation guidelines. That includes Story County and other locations in central Iowa. Most businesses in those counties, reached by the Ames Tribune and the Des Moines Register, reported busy foot traffic on the first day back to in-person shopping and dining. Store owners in Ames said they think customers are itching to get back to some sense of normalcy after staying home for several weeks. To adhere to the governor's guidelines, Cafe Diem took down half of its tables and chairs, spreading the remainder so they're at least six feet apart. At West Town Pub in Ames, the salt and pepper shakers and condiments were removed from tables, servers were clad in masks and gloves, and employees were tasked with sanitizing doorknobs and other toilet handles every hour. We're really doing our due diligence and doing our best to keep people safe and healthy, said owner Brian Kinnear, who reported about 60 diners during the lunch rush. Businesses that opened on Friday emphasized their increased sanitary measures. They also know how many customers can be inside at one time and adhere to the state's 50 cent 50% capacity rule. Not every business that was allowed to open Friday did, actually. Few public libraries in central Iowa opened, and Ames Library is among those that remain closed. And many churches, which as houses of worship are allowed to open anywhere in the state without county-based restrictions, they will continue to do online services for the time being. In Ames, St. Cecilia Catholic Church Stonebrook Community Church and Ames Jewish Congregation each decided not to reopen on Friday. In my personal opinion, yes, it is too early to reopen things because, again, things that I read and hear from health experts say that if we reopen too soon and too fast, we could get another wave of the virus coming through, said Father Jim Sikora, pastor of St. Cecilia Catholic Church in Ames. Everyone's health is my top priority. Likewise, Iowa's four Catholic dioceses, Davenport, Des Moines, Dubuque, and Sioux City, have extended the suppression, or excuse me, the suspension of Sunday Masses, and leaders from more than a dozen Christian denominations have called on Iowans to refrain from in-person religious gatherings. As some businesses opened on Friday, the Iowa Department of Public Health reported 740 new cases of COVID-19, the respiratory illness caused by the coronavirus. It was the largest jump in new cases since Reynolds announced the first confirmed case in early March. Nearly 70% of the cases were in Blackhawk, Dallas, Polk, and Woodbury counties, Reynolds said. 
She attributed the rise in cases to a backlog in data amid an increase in testing across the state. She said the weekend's numbers also are expected to be high. Reynolds, a Republican, commended businesses that decided to reopen Friday, while also acknowledging those who were not ready. Businesses are making the decisions based on what they feel are ready, what they are ready to do, she said at her news conference on Friday. People are being responsible. They want to make sure that they are protecting their workers and the individuals that are coming into their establishments, as well as making sure that they are protecting the community. So if we are continuing all to work together and really be mindful and thoughtful about how we move through this next phase of COVID-19, then we are going to continue, I believe, to continue to, in every responsible manner, continue to open things up in the state of Iowa. Our next story, Story County now has over 30 positive cases of COVID-19. This story is written by David Mullen, staff writer for the Ames Tribune. The Iowa Department of Public Health reported an additional four positive cases of COVID-19 in Story County on Friday as restaurants, fitness centers, and places of worship began a partial reopening. As of Friday, there have been 31 Story County residents who have tested positive for the novel coronavirus. Steve Sullivan, spokesperson for Mary Greeley Medical Center, confirmed the four additional cases and stated two of the patients were tested at Des Moines Mercy One Medical Center, while the other two were tested at Story County Medical Center in Nevada. Two of the latest cases are between the ages of 41 and 60, and the other two are between the ages of 61 and 80, according to the State Health Department. On Friday, restrictions were partially lifted on restaurants, fitness centers, libraries, racetracks, retail stores, and places of worship following Governor Kim Reynolds' announcement on Monday. Governor Reynolds announced an additional 740 positive cases and eight deaths due to COVID-19 during Friday's press conference. Throughout Iowa, a total of 7,884 cases have been confirmed by the State Health Department, which has resulted in 170 deaths. As of Friday, 671 Story County residents have been tested for COVID-19 and of the confirmed 31 cases, 21 have fully recovered, according to the State Health Department. You are listening to the Ames Tribune on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading and Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. Your reader today is Dave Sauerman, and it is time to turn to the obituaries. Nella L. Benson, a longtime Ames resident, age 82, passed away in Annapolis, Maryland on April 26 from COVID-19. Nella K. Lawrence was born in 1937 to Matt and Edna Caldwell Lawrence in Ottumwa, Iowa, and graduated from Ottumwa High School in 1955. She attended Iowa State University in Ames, where she was a member of the Delta 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 sorority, and she majored in journalism and received a Bachelor of Science degree in 1959. She married her college sweetheart, Charles, a.k.a. Chuck, on October 24, 1959, and she moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where she was a special events and fashion coordinator assistant at the Boston store. Nella and Chuck returned to Ames in 1962, where they raised three children and lived for more than 50 years, 50 years, that is, at 614 Hodge Avenue, 
before moving to Annapolis in 2017. Nella was a community leader and a lifelong volunteer who chaired dozens of boards and committees in Ames over the six decades that she lived here. She was a patron of the arts and a member of more organizations than can be named here. But some of the most meaningful associations to her were PEO Chapter, LM, Cynthia O. Duff, Questers, Beta, uh, excuse me, Beta Tau Delta, Delta Delta Delta, Ames Kiwanis Club, the Ames Foundation, Mary Greeley Medical Center Foundation, Israel Family Hospice House, Youth and Shelter Services, Iowa State University, and the First United Methodist Church. Nella never met a stranger nor declined a request to lend a helping hand. Friends will remember that she always had a smile on her face and that she was a warm and welcoming hostess who loved to entertain at home and in her beautiful backyard, surrounded by the flowers that she and Chuck tended. She also loved to travel and she and Chuck made wonderful memories all across the United States, Mexico, Israel, and Turkey. Europe and South America as well. She was an ardent and vocal Iowa State Cyclone fan and in a nod to her time in Milwaukee, she rooted for the Green Bay Packers. But she just mainly wanted to surround herself with the people that she loved, of whom there were many. She collected friends everywhere she went, from her childhood and college days, to those with whom she served on committees or at the polls, on vacation, and in the neighborhood. But no one gave her more pleasure than her seven grandchildren, of whom she was very proud. Nellis survived by her husband of 60 years, her son Jeff and Juanita of New Brannisville, Texas, her daughter Jennifer Lichman and Jonathan of Annapolis, Maryland, and her son Chris and Kelly of Ansbach, Germany. She was the beloved grandmother of Tara and Justice Benson, Jack and Giselle, Mimi, Lichman, and Haley, Shane, and Nick Benson. A celebration of life will be held in Ames at a later date when we are again able to travel and gather after COVID-19 restrictions are lifted. Memorial contributions can be made in her name to Youth and Shelter Services at 620 Kellogg Avenue in Ames, 50010. Leslie James Meadows, age 68 of Ames, passed away peacefully the evening of Thursday, April 23rd in hospice care at Israel House from complications of kidney failure and pneumonia. Per his wishes, he was cremated. A celebration of Lee's life will be held later when COVID-19 restrictions are lifted. Les was born December 13, 1951 in Boone, Iowa. The oldest of eight siblings, Les attended Bryant Elementary School and was active in Little League Baseball and he was a Babe Ruth All-Star. A 1970 graduate of Boone High School, Les also played Torador baseball, sang in a rock band, and worked for Belushi's Pizza and Sounds Electronics. Following graduation, Les began his career with the Chicago and Northwestern Railroad as a clerk in Clinton, Iowa. He continued working for the railroad in Cedar Rapids and Boone, becoming a conductor and an active member of the railroad union. Les ended his railroad career with the Union Pacific Rail Operating Crafts Training Services Department, where he set up computerized training for other railroaders until his retirement in 2013. Upon retirement, Les enjoyed being a van driver for the 
Litha Honda Nissan. Uh, maybe that's Lithia. I'm sorry, Lithia Honda Nissan. But most of all, his retirement was enjoyed by being around his grandson, Joel Meadows. Les also served in the Iowa National Guard. On February 17, 1973, Les was united in marriage to Dawn Morello. With this union, they welcomed a son, Jim. Together, they lived in Boone, Cedar Rapids, and finally settled into the Ames community. Les and Dawn were delighted when Jim moved his family from Phoenix to Ames. Having them near allowed more time spent with Jim, Dre, and their grandson. Enjoying Joel's school and sporting events, trips to amusement parks, restaurants, and other family activities. Les was a beloved husband, father, grandfather, son, brother, uncle, great uncle, and a friend. We remember him with great fondness for his commitment, his sense of humor, generous heart, and love of anything that had to do with the Iowa Hawkeyes, music, politics, and new technologies. Les always had the latest technological gadget. Those left to cherish his memory include his wife, Dawn Meadows, his son, Jim, and Dre, grandson, Joel, brothers, Russell, Donald, Darrell, Dean, and Stephen, sisters, Cheryl and Kurt, Conover, and Pam and Stephen Knudsen, nieces and nephews, extended family, friends, and his devoted Labradoodle, Molly. Les was preceded in death by his parents, Shirley and Donald L. Meadows, parents-in-law Yvonne Heschelman and Edward Morello, a brother Earl Meadows and infant grandson Alec Meadows. Those wishing to express their sympathies through a memorial may direct them to the family. Mildred L. Nelson, age 94 of Slater, passed away April 28th at Bethany Life in Story City. Private family graveside services were held Friday, May 1st at the Slater City Cemetery. Mildred was born August 13, 1925 in rural Slater to Lars and Valborg Helgeland home. She married Lester Nelson Jr. on June 9, 1946. He passed away in 1984. Mildred is survived by her children, Lauren and Nancy Nelson of Jackson, Wyoming, Kevin and Joellen Nelson of Eldora, and Lori and Rees Morrissey of Slater, five grandchildren and five great-grandchildren. She was preceded in death by her parents, her husband Lester, and two sisters, Selma Louise Davis and Harriet Sherry. Soderstrom Funeral Home in Slater is entrusted with arrangements. Alan Bush, age 70, of Garden City, Iowa, died Wednesday, April 29, at the Iowa Veterans Home in Marshalltown. A private family graveside service will be held at Stavanger Lutheran Cemetery May 2nd at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. In lieu of flowers, memorial contributions may be given to the Iowa Veterans Home, 1301 Summit, St. Uh, Street, Marshalltown, Iowa, 50158, in memory of Alan Bush. Bokey Funeral Home of Radcliffe is in charge of arrangements. For more information and online condolences, you can go to BokeyFuneralHomes.com. W. John Johnson, 89, of Ames, passed away on Tuesday, April 28th at Israel House Hospice in Ames. Warney John Johnson, Jr. was born April 13, 1931 in Marshall County, Iowa. 
He was the son of Warney and Mary Hodson Johnson Sr. He attended and graduated from Van Cleve High School and later earned degrees in agriculture education, a bachelor's of science degree, and rural sociology, a master's of science from Iowa State University. He served his country honorably in the United States military as a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division. On December 22, 1957, John was united in marriage to Elaine Eldridge in Ruthven, Iowa, and John spent 33 years with Iowa State University Extension as a county 4-H and youth leader in Oakland, Iowa. He was a member of 4-H staff in Ames, County Extension Director, Palo Alto County, Area Director for 10 County Area in Spencer, Iowa, an Assistant Dean and Director of University Extension in Ames, Iowa. John enjoyed involvement in community activities including President of Spencer Rotary Club, President of Northwest Iowa Regional Red Cross, President of the United Way, and President of the Ames Golden Circle K Kiwanis. He was a member of the United Methodist Church of Oakland, Emmitsburg, Spencer, and Ames. He was the Chairman of Administrative Council of Lay Leader. He was a lay leader. He was uh, on the Finance Commission. He was Chairman of the Board of Trustees. He was also Chairman of several District Church Commissions and Chairman of the United Methodist Conference Task Force on World Hunger. John had been a beekeeper for 30 years. He served as President and Vice President of Iowa Honey Producers Association and he served 20 years on the Iowa Honey Producers State Board. He served as a volunteer advisor to beekeepers in the Ukraine as they developed a new bee law for their nation. John was a longtime fisherman with over 40 trips into the Canadian wilderness. Left to cherish his memory is his wife of 62 years, Elaine, his sons, Greg and Rita Majweski Johnson, and Kent and Carrie Gustafson Johnson, uh, as well as grandchildren, Jessica and Jennifer, half-brothers and sisters, Jim Johnson, Becky Birch, Wendy Leonard, and Craig Kerr. In death, John rejoins his parents, his grandson, Kevin Johnson, and sister, Joanne Barnes. Memorial contributions have been made to Israel Family Hospice House, 400 South Dakota Avenue, Ames, Iowa, 50014, or to Collegiate United Methodist Church, 2622 Lincoln Way, Ames, Iowa, 50014. Our next story, the Secretary of State and the local auditor addressed resident concerns with absentee ballot request forms. This story is written by Robbie Sequera, staff writer for the Ames Tribune. In the lead up to the upcoming June 2 primary, every registered Iowa voter across the state has received an absentee ballot request form courtesy of the Secretary of State's office to shift voters towards absentee voting during the COVID-19 pandemic. The campaign staff has paid off, excuse me, the campaign has paid off as entering Saturday, roughly 1,500 Story County residents have requested absentee ballots, which does not include international ballots. However, local advocacy groups are urging residents who are submitting and mailing their ballot request forms 
to protect sensitive information and avoid potential voter suppression. This is the first year that every Iowan has received a form to request an absentee ballot in light of the restrictions caused by COVID-19, said Linda Hagdorn, president of the League of Women Voters of Ames in Story County. But we want to make sure that in the process of requesting a ballot, that voters can be ensured that their privacy is protected. To receive a ballot, voters must enter information that includes their full name, birth date, driver's license number, full address, phone number, email address, political party, and a signature. However, Hagdorn said there have been voter concerns with an instruction form the Secretary of State's office to tear the tab, to detach the top of the mailer, and to place it in the mail as a postcard which could leave Iowans' personal and sensitive information at risk. We have concerns from people who are wary of their personal information on that postcard that could be viewed by postal workers and others who might be handling the form, said Hagdorn. This isn't a statement against the hardworking postal workers or the Secretary of State's office, but addressing concerns of Iowans who may feel their sensitive information could be used against them. Kevin Hall, Communications Director for the Secretary of State's office, told the Tribune on Thursday the request for a mailer was created in conjunction with the United States Postal Service. Hall said mailing the form as a postcard format can guarantee it will be accepted and mailed by the USPS, in other words, the United States Postal Service. The trifold design was highly recommended by the experts. We consulted because the postcard format guarantees acceptance and delivery by the USPS. The USPS has assured us that information sent through the mail is safe and only viewed by employees of the USPS who are bound by federal laws regarding confidentiality. Hall also suggests alternative ways to mail the form to ensure both security of voter information and successfully mailing the form. Voters can cut off the bottom panel of the form above the header steps to request an absentee ballot, folding the remaining panels together, tape the top and the sides of the paper before mailing it. A second measure voters can take is to fold the paper so that the county auditor's address appears on the top and drop it off in a collection box in front of the Story County Administration Building. For residents who are anxious about their information being on the front of the mailer, we encourage them to fold the paper so that the auditor's office address is on the front of the postcard, said Lucy Martin, Story County Auditor. I can understand why there may be concerns with people's information, but this is a trusted process and there are confidentiality laws in place to protect voter information. Hagdorn said while the request form might make or take some navigating, the absence ballot process is ultimately a reliable tool for voters during this pandemic. The absentee ballot itself is a reliable system for voters, and we have not seen too many issues on that front. We want to ensure that during this pandemic, voters can be able to participate in the political process. On the ballot for Story County voters on June 2 includes the five-person Democratic primary to decide a challenger for Republican Senator Joni Ernst's seat, and Representative Stephen King will be in a five-person Republican primary as he seeks a 10th term as Iowa's 4th Congressional District Representative. On the local front, there is a Republican primary for the four-year Board of Supervisors seat between Stephen O'Rourke and Patrick Sparks. Our next story, Landis donates $20,000 to help feed Iowa families. 
A local cooperative gives back to Iowa Food Bank Association and Pass the Pork program. Landis Cooperative announced a $20,000 donation to support the Iowa Food Bank Association and the new Pass the Pork program to connect Iowa pig farmers with food insecure islands. Through Pass the Pork, Iowa pork producers are donating pigs to the Iowa Food Bank Association and other food bank programs. However, there are costs associated with the processing, storage, and delivery of the pork to food banks and pantries. By utilizing matching funds through Landa Lakes Foundation, Landis is able to increase the amount given to assist with these costs. Landis is proud to support families in our communities and Iowa's farmers at the same time. We touch the entire food supply chain and we recognize the increase in demand of food pantries and banks and the producers' concerns on where to take the hogs because of COVID-19, said Matt Karstens, chief executive at Landis. This is one way for us to show our commitment to Iowa's pork producers and our commitment to producing quality food supply for families in Iowa. Once the pork is received, the Iowa Food Bank Association is getting the food resources into the hands of Iowa families across the state who are in need. On behalf of our farmer members and the customers during this time of uncertainty in the marketplace, we are pleased the Landis is supporting the Iowa Food Bank Association and Pass the Pork to get local swine products processed to meet the growing demands by our communities and families in need, said Gallery, Iowa Area Crop and Livestock Farmer and President of the Board, Jim Carlson. I apologize for missing it. Here's one more obituary. Alan Bush, age 70, of Garden City, passed away Wednesday, April 29th at Iowa Veterans Home in Marshalltown. A private family graveside service will be held at Stavanger Lutheran Cemetery at 2 p.m. May 2. In lieu of flowers, memorial contributions may be given to the Iowa Veterans Home, 1301 Summit Street, Marshalltown, Iowa. Kim Jong-un has resurfaced in our next story. This story is by Tim Balk. He writes for the New York City Daily News. North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, who vanished from public view for the last three weeks and was rumored to be critically sick or even dead, resurfaced in public. North Korean state media reported. State news agency KCNA said Kim attended the completion of a fertilizer plant. And here's a new story just posted on the Tribune's website at about 9.30 Monday morning. Five additional cases of COVID-19 in Story County were announced by health officials on Monday, totaling 16 cases confirmed in the past week the highest number of verified cases in the county over a seven-day span so far. Since the first confirmed case of COVID-19 was reported in Story County, the most identified in a single week was nine up to this point. On Monday, an additional five cases were announced by the Iowa Department of Public Health, or IDHP, bringing the county's total to 38. Over the last weekend, one additional case was announced on both Saturday and Sunday by the State Health Department. Stephen Sullivan, spokesman for Mary Greeley Medical Center, confirmed the additional case, or cases, and said two of the individuals were tested at a McFarland Clinic location, two were tested at Story County Medical Facility, and one was tested at a Tyson meatpacking plant. 
Sullivan did not know if the person tested at Tyson was an employee. Of the new cases announced on Monday, the State Health Department confirmed Story County's first child to be diagnosed with COVID-19, whose age ranges from 0 to 17. Two patients' age ranges from 18 to 40. Three patients range from age 41 to 60, and one patient age ranges from 61 to 80, according to the IDHP. Uh, Governor Kim Reynolds announced an additional 534 confirmed cases of COVID-19, as well as four additional deaths associated to the virus during her daily press conference on Monday morning. As of Monday, 9,703 Iowans have been tested uh, as positive for COVID-19, which has resulted in 188 deaths, according to IDHP. Throughout Story County, 841 residents have been tested for the virus, and of the 38 positive cases, 26 individuals have fully recovered. And here's a business story. Excuse me, coronavirus takes the steam out of home buying season, but sale prices should rebound. Home sales will likely plunge this spring in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic, but bounce back by the end of next year, according to a new forecast from real estate search site Zillow. Sales will likely plummet by up to 60% as stay-at-home mandates and overall worries about the economy take the steam out of what was previously expected to be a robust spring home buying season, according to Zillow's economists and analysts but prices will likely experience a much slighter slide and a quicker recovery. Zillow expects prices to drop no more than 3% by the end of this year and then creep back up through 2021. Home sales should also increase by roughly 10% a month through 2021, according to the forecast. Much uncertainty still exists, particularly with some states beginning to reopen and experts warning of a possible second wave of the coronavirus in the fall. Svenja Goodell, Zillow's chief economist, said in a statement, However, housing fundamentals are strong, much more so than they were leading into the Great Recession, and that bodes well for housing in general. Before measures to contain the coronavirus escalated in March, the home buying market was expected to be strong fueled by historically low interest rates, a limited number of properties for sale, and an eagerness by younger Americans to purchase their first home. That pent-up demand remains despite the current economic uncertainty, Zillow says, noting that the number of new listings and pending sales is already increasing, and the real estate industry is adapting to the changing environment, using technology to allow for transactions amid the need for social distancing. That means prices will barely budge, unlike the Great Recession, when housing prices plunged almost 25% and took five years to reach levels seen before the downturn. Despite the difficulties, we're seeing several signs that there's still a good amount of demand for housing and buyers, sellers, and agents are growing more comfortable moving transactions forward wherever it is possible, Goodell said. Our next story, how the absence of an active university and its students looms large over the Ames economy during COVID-19. This story is written by Robbie Square, a staff writer for the Tribune. 
For Ames businesses, which decided to reopen its stores on Friday after receiving a partial go-ahead from Governor Reynolds earlier this week, it was a return to some sense of normalcy amid the COVID-19 pandemic. And while operations are limited, it's a step towards economic recovery. There are businesses that operate on a business model of 52 weeks. And so this pandemic took about seven weeks off of that plan, said Dan Colhane, chief executive of Ames Chamber of Commerce. Using restaurants as an example, opening up at 50% is better than relying solely on curbside delivery. There's a sense of relief mixed with apprehension and uncertainty for some Ames businesses. However, the long road of financial recovery for Ames businesses, as well as the city itself, will be challenging with its major economic driver, Iowa State University, out of session. As the university goes, so goes Ames, Colleen said. From all the businesses and the traffic that Iowa State University brings in, to all the students that become part of Ames for nine months or longer, we see noticeable change from when the university is in session and when it's out of session. Supporting roughly 42,600 jobs, Iowa State has a $3.4 billion impact on the state of Iowa, with its influence extending from its student community and to local businesses, according to a 2019 economic and investment analysis conducted by the Iowa Board of Regents. In March, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Iowa State closed its doors and shifted its spring semester virtually. Subsequently, traffic and tourism generated by the university through sponsored events and college athletics, a benefit for the Ames economy, it's all been interrupted. But the biggest impact of Iowa State's decision in March is the loss of student activity in the local economy. David Swenson, an associate scientist and economic, excuse me, economist at Iowa State University, estimated since Iowa State University's decision to move classes online and close its dormitories, the regional economy has lost roughly 35 to $45 million in spending from its university students. The overall operation of the university over this period of time has contracted much, except a sharp retraction of events with payroll still getting paid, Swenson said. What has changed dramatically is student life and spending by students. According to Swenson, Iowa State student spending is the equivalent of roughly $25 million of total sales for the local economy monthly. Some of that hasn't been lost, but a big fraction of that we have lost, Swenson said. Gas isn't being bought, dining and drinking isn't happening, and shopping has been limited to big box retailers and online vendors. You have been listening to the Ames Tribune on IRIS, your Iowa radio reading and information service for the blind and print handicapped. Your reader today has been Dave Sauerman, and we thank you for listening to IRIS.